Hello everyone, welcome back. It's been quite some time since the uh, last podcast episode. I actually can't tell you what's been gearing me into um, providing you with a new episode, but there's there's been a few changes uh, in my life. And still as such, I believe that the current episode would not be good unless we added some music. So here it is. Fast as a bullet, aimed by God, shooting for stars, cannot be stopped. Once I reach my zenith, more ammo's gonna drop, so bow your heads, boys, I'm bound for the top. Getting all fired up, we're gonna bust steam, growing hot and bother going long and deep. And I ain't even gonna reach my optimal speed, and when I sure as hell do, yeah, you'll sure know it's me, I'm going straight.
That was Josh T. Pearson, American Texan native who used to be part or is still, I guess, uh, part of the trio called Lift to Experience, but now is enjoying his solo career. He last uh, progressed an album and released it in 2011. That album was called Last of the Country Gentlemen. Uh, it was a low-key, bearded kind of album, loads of a acoustic guitars and lovely melodies the man is an absolute treasure he's kind of reinvented himself into a sort of hollywood cowboy character to use some of his own words uh, met him while he was playing stockholm uh, and he was an absolute charm and i strongly recommend you check out his new album which was released in april of this year uh, it's called the, the straight hits there's a lot of humor, a lot of emotion, a lot of feelings on the album. Uh, I can't recommend it enough, if not only for the Texan drawl that he's imported into his songs. And uh, uh, there's a new video coming out for one of the uh, loveliest tracks of the album called uh, Set Me Straight, which is a dear love song. It's, it is human, it is sublime, truly sublime. So I urge you to check that out. Um, so otherwise, what's been going on in my life? Um, first and foremost, my beloved daughter of sorts, Blixa, has uh, passed away. Um, my little Sphinx cat, who became nine and a half years old. Uh, I'm still grieving her. It's actually a few hours short of a week since she died, and... Um, she had to be put to sleep, which was one of the most horrendous things ever to happen to me in my life. Um, and I can't overestimate what she's meant to me in my life. And she is an absolute darling. I'm using the present tense, but I probably shouldn't be. Still, what she's meant to me is a billion things. It's, it's grievous to see her everywhere. Uh, still, I imagine that anyway, which is completely painful. But what one of my friends left me with was saying something really beauty beautiful, and I'll quote him. He says, I know the words, that words are only vague symbols that cannot express the spectrum of being that one must endure during this life. And in some moments, it is much harder to witness and feel than not to exist. However, to choose to witness life means also to choose love again and again and that was to me completely beautiful i can't nearly not wrap my head around it um but it was really beautiful um and in grief i've discovered how people are really sentient and can be really lovely um when expressing their condolences People are quite understanding and very warm and human beings. Um, and as such, it's, it's been a learning experience. I also kind of, this will sound strange, but I'll, I'll explain in a short second. I think that people's emotions and abilities to show them, to express warmth, compassion, empathy and sympathy are expressive of how the upcoming political elections will go. 
because there's an uh, there's a public election a general election in Sweden coming up this year uh which will decide which parties will take power in parliament and i think that because of the current nationalistic and xenophobic forces that are actually flowing through sweden at this point i think the humanistic senses will rule in the end i mean they must um i believe that people will be the better for it i believe that these kind of xenophobic hate-filled vapid vacuous and knee-jerk reactive forces for instance Sverigedemokraterna which means the Swedish Democrats which is um, a xenophobic and nationalistic uh party with close um original ties to to Nazis i mean real Nazis like SS guards and stuff uh the vice chancellor of sweden currently has been photographed with the ss guard with one ss guard living he currently made a statement saying that jews and the sami that is the um uh the ur population of sweden uh, are not to be considered swedes um to me these parties are intellectually inferior because of their intellectual disabilities to claim that people of a certain religion or from a certain geographical region are intellectually or just totally inferior to another kind of persons is simply intellectually dead i mean this is death this is death to the intellect that's what they're doing and they're trying to rally people against others by using the most simple claims which have no basis in science whatsoever like saying that refugees cost sweden a lot of money basically they don't there's a study from the university of gothenburg from a few years back which says that refugees perhaps cost sweden well between 1 and 1/2 of a percent um of the gross national product of Sweden uh thing is they also generate a lot of money Sweden must have immigration in order to be able to cope with uh every kind of aspect in the working life where people are actually needed and people are needed Sweden is a country which uh is working very very well when it comes to work conditions health school everything like that so um what the swedish democrats don't focus on are the things that basically white men generate uh, for instance economic crime which stands for according to the swedish branch of government which is responsible for investigating these things first and foremost stands for 15% at least of the gross national product as such Uh, and and by the way of course economic crime does not contribute to society it merely, merely drains us so 15% of the gross national uh, product and this is a very sketchy number probably much higher as economic crime is very very hard to investigate and extremely hard to to trace uh, people working in banks and such face little or no consequences when dealing in uh, monies that devastate people for life not to mention how we uh, cripple nations and peoples 
uh, all over the globe, especially those who already are affected severely. Just look at Costa Rica for just one recent example of an entire nation which has been stricken by grief, both, both in terms of the hurricane that, uh, that basically wrecked the, the island a couple of years back, but also because of these neoliberal changes which have been implemented on deep-rooted levels. However, I think that we can get away from all of that. Uh, as I was talking initially about, the um, population uh, of Sweden is about to enter an election, and I think to, to tie things up about the entire humanistic aspect, I think that as long as we talk about basic human needs and how we how I actually believe that we as humans love each other and want the best for each other. I think that's an, a deep-rooted, anarchic and loving human thing. I also think that we are definitely capable of change. Uh, we, we need to keep that in mind. Look at what happened in Armenia recently when they, their, their government... I mean, Armenia is a tiny country, but it's, that, that doesn't make a difference. Uh, Armenia had a population that was basically going to be run over by companies which were controlling the, the kind of shadow uh, puppet gov uh, government at the time. But what happened? A million people, a million people turned up in the city capital to protest and demand that the entire parliament uh, wank off, basically. So they, they did. They uh, displaced the entire government and are now reshaping it to avoid corruption and to make the changes needed to live a fruitful existence. Uh, so we can, we can all make these changes. It's a matter of getting up, getting an analysis off, off of Facebook and Instagram and actually doing this. Uh, it doesn't take much, especially for us who live in these very, very well-kept societies who are really in abundance of money and welfare and everything. We need to step up and help each other, and I think the world will be a better place for it. Uh, to break off from that, here's, uh, here's another piece of music that I recently discovered by mistake. Uh, found an old me email I thought I had deleted. It was actually an ad from a company about uh, a musical album. And um, this is a recording from what, what the album calls Tito's Yugoslavia. Uh, and this is from a gypsy person, self-proclaimed, who made this music. And this is a classic Yugoslavian folk tradition song, albeit in a version, as all of those are. So without further ado, go for it. Oh. 
That song was from a uh, really good compilation album called Stand Up People Gypsy Pop Songs from Tito's Yugoslavia, uh, from the what they call the golden age of Yugoslav pop, which was, according to them, between 1960 and 1980. Speaking of which, compilations like that would not be available for us unless it were for the basic human needs and values that most of us cherish. Uh, this morning I was uh, awoken uh, to see that the US, the USA are exiting the UN Human Rights Council. Um, thing is, the US ambassador to the UN, Nikki Haley, uh, says that the council is a protector of human rights abusers and is a cesspool of political bias. Uh, they also mentioned that UN targets Israel in particular while ignoring atrocities in other countries. I feel that there are several ways which, through which uh, one can view these uh, comments. The first thing that I would like to mention is that the US, of course, has sponsored terrorists for ages. This is nothing new. Uh, under the Nuremberg laws, if one were to execute people under those, the laws of which the US have agreed to from after the Second World War, uh, and those wars were instituted to locate, identify, and uh, punish people who were committing crimes against humanity, and crimes under law, under international law. Uh, thing is, every single U.S. president after the U.S. after the Second World War would actually be executed uh, after those, if one were to adhere to those laws. As such, it's not happening. Um, there are no political grievances against U.S. political leaders. Um, 
Another thing is that the US said that Israel was being targeted. Of course, what Israel is currently doing against the Palestinians must not have must not have escaped anybody. Uh, Netanyahu, the current political leader in Israel, said that Palestinians are to require less living space than people from Israel do. So that's why they can live in a much more contained space, because that's the type of species that Palestinians are. Now, that's just one minor gripe, but it says something about Netanyahu and the Israel government's view on how to how to basically deal with people from Palestine. There's been mass murdering of Palestinians of late. There's been mass murderings, mass murders, sorry, of Palestinians for decades. And this is still ongoing. But the US using their veto every single time the UN is about to do something to that when they have actually suggested something that would aid the Palestinians from abhorrent crime by Israel. Yes, the US has vetoed that. It's interesting also to see that Nikki Haley comments on uh, what the UN is doing where it comes to countries like the Democratic Republic of Congo. She pointed to the election of the Democratic Republic of Congo to council membership in the past year, uh, which actually has validity. Um, that republic has been in flames for decades. It is the most weaponized conflict since the Second World War. People are dying by the thousands every single month. And this is something that people are not listening to at all. Media, Western media, is not reporting about it. And one of the main reasons for this is that large companies are living off this conflict in Congo. Uh, minerals and uh, very expensive items that need to be scavenged off that country for basically no monies at all. Uh, that would stop if peace would come to the entire region. So that's why nothing's happening, basically, in the base. Thing is, uh, Nikki Haley points to that as proof that the body, i.e. UN, the Human Rights Council, could not be fixed, to quote her. Um, I disagree. It can be fixed. Why could it not? Things that are not working can always, almost always, be fixed. The US is one of the main reasons for why the conflict in Congo is ongoing. The US also controls NATO to a huge extent, which means that they also can rule over a lot of conflict in the world. This is not to mention what the US has done in Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, 
and almost everywhere where there's been major conflict for the very for a very very long time not to mention its continued support of Israel in terms of arms weapons more training and such against the Palestinians so of course this is hypocritical the US also has John Bolton since before John Bolton is uh, probably most well known for being appointed as the US ambassador to the UN um, by uh, George Bush the younger uh, one of John Bolton's uh, one of his claims against the UN which was made before he was um, appointed the UN ambassador uh, was that you could easily remove 10 or 20 levels in the UN headquarters without anybody noticing anything at all. And this is one of the least horrible claims he's made about the UN. Me, myself, I have a lot against the UN. The UN has actually been a part of progressing violence in some quarters, for instance, in Yugoslavia. Um, but on the whole, there is no reason for the US to evade this. If the US were honest about evading things because they make things more horrible, the US should avoid destroying the world via their apprehensions on climate change. As everybody knows, the Trump administration is doing less about climate change and more for the destruction of humanity in moving towards meeting the companies that make this possible like Exxon Oil and other companies that are actually progressing the use of fossil fuels which will according to almost every single source known to man every believable scientist will progress us to the state of extinction very very soon now so this this claim by Nikki Haley is not only inflammatory it's derogatory it's 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 a, something that a head of a unit like that should never say because it is just so intellectually dead. There's no containment in that, in what she was actually saying. Uh, and uh, as part of that, one has to keep a humane head. And by that, I don't mean that we should rush against extinction. I mean that we should show love, compassion, and keep our intellectual heads level. Uh, I think we should always try to behave in a way that we can look back on and say, yeah, I kept my head cool in that instance, and it actually turned out for the better because of that. And I think that's what we need to do now. Think about where we want to go, what prognosis we can fix, and, you know, we all need to come together in all of this and just make do.
That was John Hopkins doing Emerald Rush off his new great album called Singularity. There's actually an episode of a podcast called Song Exploder in which a performer dismantles one of the tracks to explain how it came about, how it was made and all things around it. And I must say the episode with John Hopkins was really, really great. I think he was born in 1980 or thereabouts, and he's been around for some time. To me, he's been a bit of a stranger. He's actually worked a lot with Brian Eno, and that must say something about his studio capabilities, because he is a wonder kid where it comes to uh, creating music, both sonically, uh, technically. And if you listen to that song Exploder part, I believe that you will learn more about his philosophies and how he, th how he thinks about tracks more than from a technical aspect, which to me generally just bores the pants out of me. So bar the technical things, which were actually interesting. Uh, for instance, he, he talks about how he sped down a bass track so so much that you can only hear the pops and he used those pops from the extremely slow down track to create a rhythm on which he built the rest of the track so it was really interesting to hear how, how experimental he was and also how he views things such as uh, psychedelics and how that affects you as a person and in and uh, while making music so um John Hopkins, yeah, he was a, a real, uh, that was a really good album, a, a good album as a whole, by the way, because the songs work on their own, but they weave into each other, and as such, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, speaking of that, uh, friends of mine, uh, Ockerville River, released an album not long ago, and their albums have often been thematic. Uh, the current one is no real exception, although it is more cut up than the past three albums, I think, uh, which have been working more as a as a whole by themselves. Um, it'll be really interesting seeing them on tour. Every time we see Will is a, is a boon. Uh, we saw former member Lauren uh, while she was playing with Erica Wennerstrom uh, as part of the Josh T. Pearson unit when they were touring. And that was really lovely, meeting Lauren again. She's a, such a talented guitarist. Uh, if you ever listen to stuff, I mean, she's been doing stuff with the Octopus Project for a long time as well. Or not a long time, perhaps, but a couple of years. Check out the latest album on which she plays a lot. Also check out Ockerville River's Pink Slips. That is a great track, Pink Slips. Um, and I think I'll turn things a bit on the end here. I'll play another track by another band. This is uh, Norwegian Immortal. Um, they're known a lot in black metal, uh, black metal genre, uh, but they are very, <laughs> I think they're basically unknown everywhere else. Uh, they used to be a trio, but uh, due to a lot of fighting, uh, the band has now re-emerged uh, and are, have finished recording their new album, which will be released uh, very, very soon. Uh, the first single is the one I will play now. So uh, get a load of this. Uh, and mind you, the production is, as always, uh, completely wonderful uh, <laughs> this time. Well, fuck it. Just hear this and let me know what you think.
That was Immortal with Northern Chaos Gods, the first song off their coming album. I haven't spoken about books for a while. I did mention Puerto Rico previously while ranting about the dangers of capitalism. Um, as such, there is a new book out on Haymarket, by, written by Naomi Klein, one of the foremost uh, dissidents of the U.S. Uh, uh, US uh, external policies, I was about to say, about every single policy, and not only the US. She also uh, criticizes her own home country, uh, Canada, heavily, and, uh, well, everywhere else, basically. Uh, she's written books about uh, neoliberalism, about the onslaught of capitalism, well, same thing, basically, uh, about climate change a lot, because that's one of the foremost threats to humani humanity, currently. Um, and she just issued this book called the Battle for Paradise, subtitled Puerto Rico Takes on the Disaster Capitalists. And I think there are a few persons alive today who has a voice, breadth and prosaic succinctness that Klein has. And her ability to paint a picture to show what's wrong, to show how we can get to a better place. It's like a breath of fresh air, a younger person, a version of sorts of both Noam Chomsky and Howard Zinn, and uh, reading her words is is just wondrous. It's it's so interest, interesting to see how how Puerto Rico has changed both before and after the Hurricane Maria struck and left the island devastated. Um, she also shows a lot of optimism in her book, not only attacking by all rights the capitalists who, and the, the government of Puerto Rico who has caused all of this uh, by the hurricane. And she's, she's so good at this. Um, she, she shows where corporations and kleptocracies fail us, how private change can never, never, never do stuff for the benefit of humans where it comes to school, where it comes to healthcare, catastrophe relief, stuff like that. And she, I mean, Puerto Rico has been basically used as a sieve for the wealthy who seek to avoid paying their taxes. And, and that says so much. Uh, the book is so fresh that it deals with stuff up to, I think, March, possibly April of 2018. I mean, this year. So it's just a couple of months old. The book itself is about, if I remember correctly, 55 pages long, which is nothing. It's really good. It's well written. It's succinct. And her optimism permeates the entire book. There are things that we can do on our, not only on a grassroots level, but we can do it on a governmental level as well. If we pressure politicians far enough, then things will happen. Mm, I'll read you a little bit from the book. And let's see, this is, um, uh, let's see what she says. It says, in early 2018, Governor Ricardo Rosselló announced the privatization of PREPA, which is the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority. Two days later, the slick, TV-friendly young governor unveiled his long-awaited fiscal plan, which included closing more than 300 schools and shutting more, down more than two-thirds of the island's government's executive branch entities, going from a total of 115 to just 35. And the major preamble to that statement is this, also from Klein. Broken, desperate, the Puerto Rican government turned to borrowing, in part by using its special tax status to issue municipal bonds that were exempt from state, city and federal taxes. 
It also purchased high-risk capital appreciation bonds, which will eventually rack up interest rates ranging from 785 to 1,000%. Thanks in large part to these kinds of predatory financial instruments, borrowed under conditions that many experts argue were illegal under the Puerto Rican constitution, the island's debt exploded. According to data compiled by lawyer Armando Pintado, debt service payments, including interest and other profits paid to the banking industry, increased fivefold between 2001 and 2014, with a particularly marked spike in 2008. Another shock to the island's economy. Um, so that's one of the uh, many things that were happening. She also points out how the tax haven that Puerto Rico is turning out. It, it actually um, makes do by inviting people who have to do with blockchain and cryptocurrencies uh, trying to evade paying taxes overall about this. Um, I mean, it's so interesting to to see how these people just use them. Um, like one uh, young crypto trader told his YouTube audience before moving to Puerto Rico in time to make the tax filing deadline, quote, I actually had to look it up on the map, end quote. Um, seeing how people just use other people without needing to see how they live, to see what devastation they've actually been dealt through capitalism. I think that's one of the main reasons capitalism actually lives, you know, that the people who are making money off people who have nothing don't have to meet them. If we just leave, live completely divided, if you live in a penthouse in New York, chances are you don't think about the people who are forced to move out, not only of the boroughs of New York City, but of New York, the state, if, if you can't afford stuff. Rudy Giuliani, a former governor in, the New, York, in New York City, uh, so-called so cleaned up the city, by which... He basically made sure that a police state evicted the homeless, the people with uh, problems overall, um, and just made them so-called disappear, and just open up, up every single door for austerity and gentrification, which we see now. Just check out, check out the TV show called Million Dollar Listing on uh, popular so-called reality TV, although every single episode is scripted. Um, this is extremely interesting. Uh, one cannot even think of not hearing or seeing what's actually happening. Because in this TV series, it's so interesting to see these brokers making hundreds of thousands of dollars in commission from every single sale that they make, who are talking about the real parts of New York City, saying stuff like, if you want to see the real Brooklyn, there's only one place left and we can go here and it's still here and you can see the tiles and they've really kept the original structure. But there is no original structure. These are buildings made from scratch mostly. These are things are being like, you know, there's no old left if the people and the history with it are basically asphalted over by capitalists who sell the newly built apartments and houses to those who can afford them, which is a fraction of a percent of the American population. 
This does not only apply to New York, of course, New York City, but also to London, to Stockholm. Uh, the place where I actually live now in Stockholm, where I actually rent an apartment, uh, the square meter cost in this particular area of Stockholm, and this is a suburb I'm living in, costs as much as in Östermalm, which is considered the posh part of Stockholm, also the most expensive part. Uh, very few people, I, I, I can't even think of any kind of rental apartments there. They're all being turned out to be, you know, privately owned condos being sold for millions and millions of crowns. And also millions of dollars or pounds, if you want to say, use those currencies. Um, so, it is interesting. So, uh, to get back to Naomi Klein's book from my rant now is that she makes you think. She makes you think in these kinds of scenarios that I am expressing. Even if you are a fierce critic of hers, you don't. even if you would not believe a single word that she's saying, this kind of stuff um, kind of rubs the grey cells, as Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot would say. Uh, it is a very interesting way to to uh, read about and, and learn things. And all profits from the book, every single crown, every single dollar, every single cent that uh, is generated from uh, from the book goes to a Puerto Rico uh, charity to, to help regular citizens, uh, which is uh, laudable in the extreme, both my, my sincere thanks and gratitude to Naomi Klein and Haymarket Books, which is a um, also not only a publisher but a sales device that sells their own literature. I strongly recommend uh, turning up for their registering for their um, mailing lists, as they often have really cheap drives where you can read a bunch of interesting literature. So that about that. Um, and now some music.
That was Swedish current uh, duo uh, called Junior Briel. They have released an EP called Blood, B-L-O-D, um, which means blood in English. They are a truly melodic and wonderful band at the moment. They have roots in kind of Swedish band Kent with with the song, but at the same time it's it's a lot better overall. It's not as jaded or tired as Kent turned out to be in the end, I think. They are more part of what one would apply to other Swedish bands like JJ, first and foremost. If you haven't heard JJ, I strongly recommend checking them out. Another duo. Sadly, they haven't released anything in quite some time. I uh, wager that they are on to, um, for, to different pastures. But I hope for their return. Anyway, um, I will leave you now. Um, hope to record something in the near future. I'm going on a holiday quite soon. And as such, I am really looking forward to it. But to end things, um, as we began almost, uh, the following is Josh T. Pearson's song called Set Me Straight. It's a love song. And as he said while playing it live here in Stockholm, it's kind of a the main piece of the album, the new album. And the rest of it are just decorations around it. I don't agree as those are really, really good in their own. And he knows this. But here it is. Um, set me straight. And I hope you have a great summer. Bye. Come on. This is such a fragile thing. Amen. Five, six, seven, eight.
as life's chaos beats us black with the blues Hand in hand, heart to heart, we'll combat and endlessly strive And as love sets our bones stronger, forgive and forget Putting aside grievances and fearlessly Okay.